Hello, what's happening? What's cracking? Welcome back in episode 11 of the Whole Hard Truth. I am Orin Lamenta. Thank you for joining me. This is a good one. This is one that I am happy to bring to you because it lets me take a walk back down memory lane into a life that I've long since left in the rearview mirror. For those that know my backstory, yeah, I covered sports for a living close to a decade between radio and television that I spent in that world of being a professional fan. I got paid to talk and watch and travel and do everything that had to do with keeping up with sports in my town. And over the course of that career, I made some really, really quality friendships, brotherhoods in fact. This next episode, this episode I should say, is with one of those brothers. His name is Brandon Cristal. He's my homeboy. There's no one else like him. Um, he's a legend, at least with me, because when it comes to chopping it up about any and everything sports related, he's like an almanac. He's like the Energizer Bunny. You give him a subject, you wind him up, and you let him go. Brandon and I worked together uh, in my last gig at my high sports radio in conjunction with the Denver Post. Shout out to the big homie, uh, Peter Burns, who put the press box together. Me, Brandon, Peter, uh, Mark Kisler. It was a good crew. And um, my last venture was to the Super Bowl when the Broncos got drubbed by the Seattle Seahawks. And Brandon and I were there for that and came back. And after, a, you know, some negotiations, let's call it. Uh, the Denver Post decided to call it quits, and so ended my sports career. But Brandon kept in the world because, I, you know, this is what he does, and you'll hear that. And for those of you guys that know him, you know that. And he's more than just a colleague or a former colleague or a former work relationship. I truly consider this dude a brother. And that's something that I don't know if I've ever told him this. That's not something I don't think I could have said when we first met. Um but he grows on you, and it's like a barnacle. <laughs> no, it's better than that. Without further ado, I give you the whole hard truth about covering sports in a pandemic with Brandon Cristal. Oh, yeah. Be hey, when are we starting? We are starting now. How about that? Okay, hang on. I'm going to into the shitty lunch and then drink my water. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Sorry. Hopefully my AirPods and my phone will hold up. I got a brand new phone, so it should be good. 51%. 12, are you on the 12 Pro or what? Oh, uh, 12 Pro Max, bro. Oh. Need, need a I'm good camera. The, I'm on the 11. I'm on the 11 Pro Max and set my life straight. That 12 Pro Max is all 5G, though, so. Are you wearing a tinfoil helmet while you use your phone? Well, I mean, if if 5G is the reason that the China virus spread in America, then I guess I'll just have to deal with it. <laughs> and with that, we begin.
Brandon Cristal, my homeboy. How are you doing? You good? I'm doing. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm a little tired. Uh, I had a. I didn't have a newborn. My wife had a newborn that I was a part of that process seven weeks ago. So I haven't slept much in seven weeks, and then I get up every morning to do updates at 4:30 in the morning for KOA's morning news. So I'm a little fatigued, but happy to talk to you. A little fatigued, but happy to talk. It's a weird. It's a weird. I mean, I, I need not tell you it's a weird year to be doing what you do for a living, what I used to do for a living. Um, I was tripping because this Tuesday football game this, uh, that should be a Monday night football game um, just jogged me for a second. I was like, because I, I really haven't been paying attention, Brandon. Like, I, I, I stay close to it enough, like, uh, I divorced myself from, you know, I mean, I think my sports fandom and, and, and close following um, mid last year, really, since we started the Meow Wolf Project. And now I think, you know, with the pandemic, you know, capturing everybody's, you know, attention and everybody wanting an escape, I found myself back paying attention to the NFL. I watched the NBA Finals. But I haven't had to, you know, stick to the nuts and bolts of it. What is it like on the inside covering sports when everything is so drastically different? Well, so it's interesting, and we could take this a bunch of different directions, but I I uh, pride myself in some of the relationships I've cultivated, you know, as a person who covers the Broncos and covers the NFL and, and covers sports in town, but certainly with a focus on the NFL in recent years, uh, a much heavier focus for sure. And I remember having this conversation with a member of the Broncos uh, front office in the off season about how, because we weren't going to be in the locker room at all, and because we'd have no opportunity for face-to-face interaction, and this was maybe even before the PA determined that they weren't going to do any in-person events, the NFL Players Association, so like you couldn't even go to a guy's charity function. In fact, I was was a part of Von Miller's IMC to, or I guess I moderated a panel with Mark Schlereth and Ryan Harris and Carl Mecklenburg and Susie Warden, who's the MC. And Vaughn was there virtually, and Bradley Chubb was there virtually. They popped up on screen. There were <laughs> 200 people 200 people at a hangar to help Vaughn's charity. And oh, Vaughn, uh, now they all got nice autographed Vaughn Miller footballs, and mine's actually in the office right next to me uh, where I'm sitting. Um, but the, I'm saying all that to say we had a conversation that, and this is, again, before it was ruled that we would not see guys at all, that – you're going to have to, if you're a good reporter, you're going to have to rely on your relationships and being able to, to text people and call people to get the information you need. And that's been completely, completely true. Uh, and what else is interesting, you know, we started this by me telling you how tired I am. I love covering the NFL, but the, the grind of it can be a lot. I'm not going to complain, uh, you know, covering baseball is harder. And there's plenty of people that have real jobs who have a harder time uh, in a pandemic or on a, on the day to day. But when your schedule revolves around the Broncos or an NFL team, you're you're relying on them setting a schedule for the year, and you know, okay, i got to be there Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, travel to a game and or cover a game on Sunday, travel on Saturday. So sometimes, and almost all the time, it's seven days a week during football season. Well, because we can't get into the locker room and because we're doing everything on Zoom, we're only over there three days a week. When this thing all started, when the season started, I was one of the seven or eight people that were getting tested every day being paid for by the NFL. And with a wife who was pregnant at the time, that although it was a half-hour drive each way to go get my test, even on days when I was doing everything on Zoom, I was happy to do it because I kept finding out that I didn't have coronavirus. 
Um, sure. But now that, that things have changed and none of us are getting tested because they have completely limited the amount of access even to work in building, which is what we were doing. We still weren't face-to-face with anyone. We were in the media room. Uh, but that happened literally as, we, as the week we had the baby. So nothing changed other than for the couple weeks that I wasn't going over there. No one was going over there to test. I go Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for a half hour at most to watch practice. On Fridays, it's 10 to 15 minutes. And then I'm back home. So how has it changed? Well, instead of – I'm still a slave to their schedule to some degree in that uh, when there's a news conference, a Zoom conference, I have to be a part of it. And when there's practice, I have to be there. But I don't have to travel to games. I get to go to the home game, obviously. And, and so in a weird way, in a year where we had a, another child, I don't want to call it a blessing in disguise, and I'll maintain that Patrick but was. is still the only person. I'm, I'm going to say on the whole, Patrick Mahomes is the only person that had a good 2020. But for my personal situation, uh, being able to be home a lot more with a two-year-old and now a, a seven-week-old had been really nice. Um, so, you know, that was a long answer to how has it changed. But basically, instead of the day-to-day being face-to-face, anytime I'm breaking news or passing along information or reacting to something, it's all based on conversations I've had via text or social media, uh, you know, private message or, or whatever it may be. Uh, or on the phone. So it, it, that's a been lot, the biggest change. There's a lot there, too, because those who know you, I do, but people who know you know that you've kept, like, you are the sports reporter's sports reporter. I'll, 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 I, I'll put it like that. In as much as to say that you develop great relationships, your Rolodex is thick as fuck, and it, it you know, I've seen it serve you well, you know, when we're at Super Bowls and things of that nature. So it's like for you – the transition into this, it sounds like I should say, the transition into this new phase of doing things, which we all hope isn't permanent, but it is for right now, um, seems kind of, not seamless, but it seemed like you were easy, it was easily integrated into your way of being as a reporter. But, like, the whole scene's got to be weird. Like, when you say that you're at the games, when was the last time you watched a whole football game and no one else is in this, and no one's in the stands, but it counts? It's about practice. Yeah, well, and so the, and maybe that's kind of the thing that people don't understand. And they they look on TV and they they cut to wide shots of the of the stadium. Now I'll say this: go across sports, soccer, which was first to get back in in, in Europe. Baseball is a little trickier because of those camera angles. Even with the and the fake fans haven't. It's not that they not bothered me. They sometimes make me forget that there aren't fans there because. Mm. We we hear them, and I thought the NBA did a good job with how they shot and presented everything in the bubble with the virtual fans on the on the sidelines and on the baselines, and so uh, it, it's been fine for me as a viewer. I haven't I you know, and, and that wasn't your question. But I'm saying in general, I I thought that all the leagues have done a really good job for the most part, but because I cover so many football practices where I'm only around ten or twenty other members of the media, training mm-hmm. camp without fans, which we had. I want to say five, six years ago when they were building, I guess it was more than that, probably about seven, eight years ago, they were building the second building, the, the permanent field house there at the Broncos facility. There were no fans for that training camp. But when you go through covering them in the spring and, and early part of the summer, there's no fans. So right. when you go to a game and, and we've been in the stadium practice before with no fans, while it's strange, and also I guess at the end of the game, I'm in there and there's no fans. Now there's nobody on, on the field or even pregame. When you get there super early, there will be eight players on the field and no one in the stands. You'll see ushers and people walk around. You still kind of saw that anyway. So it's not as weird as you think. Really? 
what makes it all weird is just all of it, right? The interaction or lack of interaction, you know, the press box, and you've been in that press box. The Broncos have bigger press boxes just about anywhere in the NFL, especially considering their stadium's 20 years old now just about. And and they built it after they'd gone to two Super Bowls, and the great Jim Sakamano, who the press box is named for, told me that he's like, look, we were having AFC championship games. We needed a, as big a press box as they would give me, so I was a part of the planning process. Well, that number uh, of people, which can be upwards of 200 for a, an AFC title game, and on a given game day is well over 100, there's like 25 people in there that are working media. Uh, and, and, and that's depending on if the visiting team even sends anyone. A couple of weeks ago when the Broncos played the Dolphins, there were two members of visiting media. That was it. Uh, when they the Chargers, there was zero visiting media. Oh, now, strangely enough, the, the Saints – had like four or five beat writers and their broadcast team, which includes Deuce McAllister, the old running back, and their play-by-play guy is Zach Streif, who's a 12-year O-lineman and walked off the field and into the broadcast booth, which is an interesting story in and of itself. But they said they surprise everybody because they show up and no one expects for the visiting radio team to be there because they haven't been. So the game day things that I like the most, talking to people, being on field pregame, talking to people, watching guys warm up, getting – close to looking at the other team, watching Patrick Mahomes go through warm-ups, or Drew Brees, I remember getting to do that uh, years ago when, when he came to town, he's eight years ago, uh, standing there in the on the field because uh, I was working with Westwood One that day, and I was at the 50-yard line watching Drew Brees warm up. Those things are different, and it, it makes my game day experience different. That's my own personal thing. As for how it is in terms of the game, we're sticking the same wisecracks to each other, even though we're a little farther apart in the press box. And like I said, there's less of us, but the people that are around me, you know me, I'm going to talk and they're going to either react, laugh, or tell me to shut up. But <laughs> it, it's not as weird as you would think it is, but that's be, maybe that's one me and two, because I'm around that team enough when there's no, no fans there. So right. if that makes sense, that, that you know, it's, it's obviously different. There's not 76,000 fans there. Even when there's 5,000 fans there, you barely notice them. We would look just funny jerseys like we do anyway. In my in my in my uh, cannabis infused moments, I, especially watching the NBA Finals, it got weird when I would go, "Wait, there's crowd noise, but no crowd." So some guy is actually pushing a button, like "Deep, deep," and it's like, "What the hell is happening?" And that's not what the hell is happening in sports because this is a it's a bigger thing. This is sports, you know, form fitting itself to new parameters of being, and it's like. I, I see what you're saying in as much as that you, you you operate in a very insulated world. You have one of the coolest jobs in the world. Everybody thinks that your job is the coolest job in the world. Has proven to be that pre post coronavirus. Is it still the cool one of the coolest gigs in the world? Yeah, it's it's absolutely one of the coolest gigs in the world. I, I joke all the time that uh you know, I I've never worked a day in my life, right? That Right. Uh, when you and I know that's a saying, right? When you do what you love, you, you never work. But when people, you'll hear me complain, and complain's not the right word, but talk about, oh, I got to schlep here or do this or drive over to the Broncos for a 10-minute press conference to come right back home on a Monday, right? When the only thing that's available is Vic Fangio, uh, they have a sit there in the media room and then drive right back home. Like <laughs> at that point, 
It's like, well, what am I doing? I could have done that on Zoom now, right, in this world. Maybe next year we will do our – maybe we do our Monday press conferences on Zoom. And I've talked to different reporters, and some of the old guys are like, no, we like that time to the side to be able to talk to coach and ask him one or two questions. It's like, well, just take his phone number down. And if he wants to give it to you, whatever he's going to give you privately, he'll still give it to you, right? But why are we driving all the way over here for 10 minutes? <laughs> well, you know, so so we'll, we'll see. Um, but – it's not real work, right? I'm not laying drywall. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not having to sell. I don't think you laid. I don't think you laid else. drywall. You know? You're obviously not. Yeah, laying we're throwing drywall, drywall up laid. on the wall, right? <laughs> laying concrete, uh, right? All of that. So, you know, it's one of those where I, uh, I certainly don't take it for granted. And considering how the pandemic has crushed so many people, uh, yeah. that. I care about, especially in the restaurant industry. And you've been me a long time. You know that I've had to bartend at times and I've been in between gigs. I've got friends and family that have worked in the restaurant business forever that own restaurants or run restaurants. And they've been just devastated in so many ways. Uh, and that's just one industry, right? There's, there's plenty you could go through. But my wife works in healthcare, and thankfully she was extremely busy uh, in the in the spring and summer before she took maternity leave. And, and thankfully I've been uh, able to keep my both my gigs between the updates on Colorado's news and then covering the Broncos here during the season. Um, it, it's been a blessing. But, yeah, I I, always, I think about that all the time when someone else will change gigs or lose a gig. I'm like, I don't know what I would do if this went hmm. away and I couldn't find anything else other than – well, and that's the thing, too. It's, <laughs> I thought about that a lot. The only other thing that I've ever really done is bartend, which is something <laughs> you can't do very easily – in in the pandemic right now. So, and, and hopefully that's changing here very soon. I say very, I'll put very in quotes in the next few months to a year. But I don't want to pretend as a, a 42, soon to be 43-year-old with these little kids at home if I can if I can help it, right? I want to keep, sure. I want to keep doing this. So hopefully uh, hopefully it works out, but it's uh, it's certainly been strange. I was, I was, I was, I wasn't surprised that the NFL in the NBA, like the NBA, you know, I think they, you know, because obviously they were mid-season when the pandemic hit, and then they shut things down, and then there was debate as to whether or not they were going to play, and then they decide to play, and they do the bubble thing, and you know, but kudos to uh, Adam Silver and that whole um, organization for being able to pull that off in such a, I think, a timely fashion, and still have these guys ready to start it back up, uh, somewhat close to, you know their regular schedule, but the NFL, it didn't seem like they batted an eye. From the inside, was there ever a question as to whether or not there was going to be a season? I don't think so, and there were a couple of reasons why. Uh, one, the, the amount of money involved is, is the obvious reason, but to the amount of time they had. The NFL was lucky in that it wasn't mid-season or the end of the season. That's the thing, that, uh, you know, to, to take it a little broader, that's always going to bother me about the way this all happened, and I can't say bother me, disappointing. We were in Colorado, and, and I didn't have any dogs in, in the hunt, so to speak. We were literally in the middle of the high school championship playoffs. I think the kids were either in the semifinals, state semifinals, or finals, like 4A and 5A. Those kids just missed those games, and obviously all the spring sports that were canceled. I went to the University of Kansas. The Jayhawks were the number one seed heading into the tournament. They were going to be the number one seed, and they were going to have a good shot at cutting the nets down in Atlanta. And all that just just stops, right? The NBA and NHL at least have the financial wherewithal and the flexibility to be able to not not only press pause but then start it back up again in the summertime. And I thought that it was executed really well. Even if the ratings were way down, 
for those of us that like sports or just want to know that it's on, it was great. That, that's why everyone's complaining about college basketball right now because mm-hmm. at, at, at every moment they're pressing pause. These huge games, Baylor and Gonzaga, 90 minutes before tip-off got canceled. Saturday, Friday night or Saturday morning, the bus game against Washington State gets sort of postponed, I should say. And it, it keeps happening. Another big game today with, uh, I think, Louisville and Wisconsin got uh, canceled. But as a sports fan, and I guess it's a flexible schedule to some degree or to a lot of a degree, I like just having games on. Beyond the football games, I'll take Tuesday night football and Wednesday night and college basketball. And when the NBA gets going here in, in a couple of weeks, I just like having games on. I don't even – and you know, you want to see the teams you cheer for win – but I was excited to watch Baylor and Gonzaga in the middle of a college football Saturday. And so you asked, am I surprised? Well, so we saw all these things happen. Baseball had to shorten their season, obviously, to a third, and they were able to get that in. There was never any doubt that the football season would get in. What has surprised me, and I said this from the get-go, I knew they were going to start on time on, on September 9th, 10th, 11th, whatever that, uh, whatever that Sunday was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew they were going to start on time, or really the, that Thursday night with the Chiefs. I didn't know that they would finish on time. And what we've seen, right. and we saw it last week, we saw it last week more than any, or we're seeing it with two Monday night games and another Tuesday night game. Last week was a Wednesday game, plus getting that Broncos-Saints game played on the day it was scheduled rather than pushing it back. The league is getting all 256 games in on time. And they don't care whether you have quarterbacks, whether you have your quarterback, <laughs> or if, if you're missing your center, like the Steelers were on Wednesday with Marquise Pouncey and a bunch of other players. If you can put 40 guys on the field, so there's enough to start on both sides of the ball. The NFL is getting this regular season in. The most interesting thing to me about this is there's plenty of rumblings that say, uh, the people will say the NFL eventually wants to get to where the Super Bowl is President's Day weekend. Then Super Bowl Sunday really becomes a national holiday because it leads into everyone having Monday off, right? Right. So knowing that that's in the back of everyone's mind and an 18-game 18 regular, 18 regular season has been talked about, 17-game regular season is going to start next year, why they were in such a hurry to get this – season in by January 3rd and then start the playoffs on time and then have the two weeks or even the one week built in before the Super Bowl to make sure to have the Super Bowl February 7th or 8th, whatever that day is, I think it's the 7th, in Tampa. When entire leagues, like we just talked about, like I just mentioned, moved months to get their schedules right, to get their championships played. You may not be the biggest football fan in the world these days or follow the nuts and bolts of it, but I guarantee you that if the Super Bowl is February 14th, 15th, 16th, instead of the 7th, I guess it was 7th to push it back to the 14th, and that's President's Day weekend, Valentine's, or if it was March 1st or March 10th, and it's still the Super Bowl, you're going to watch it, I'm going to watch it. Football fans are going to watch it, casual fans that like the commercials and like the event, they're all going to watch it. So that's the thing that's been most interesting to me, is that the NFL has been so gung-ho about getting their schedule played on time that that surprised me, but I was never surprised they were going to get, get started or that they would get it in in a calendar year, especially not not just in the five months of the actual football season. But it, it's a credit them for pushing through, uh, regardless of what the competitive balance may look like on a given day. Well, and it's a testament also to the powerhouse. I mean that that organization uh, is like none other, right? You know, from the tax exemption to the the, the place uh, they don't have the tax occup- exemption. Tax exemption. They don't have that anymore. Oh, they don't have a tax exemption. Or, or, or they are, yeah, yeah, I think they're paying taxes now because they don't want to have to answer to Congress anymore. Okay. Well, it, I think that changed NFL, like four or five years ago. The NFL has always proven itself. I don't know if, you know, of course it's replaced America's pastime, former baseball, 
um, with just becoming, you know, the, the, the biggest machine going. And they, they operate like that, right? They blow through all the stop signs. I, I'm going to tell you something, BK. Like, I look at what coronavirus is as a, as a thing. And, you know, six feet social distancing, wear a mask. You know, you, you mentioned, you know, we've got a lot of homeboys in Chicago that are restaurateurs and, and what, what coronavirus, COVID-19 has done to the restaurant industry. And I think about a game like football, which is snot, spit, sweat, all of the things. And I know guys are getting tested. You know, obviously that's what, why these games are being postponed. It, it's hard for my brain to compute how, how that particular sport well, I mean, all contact sports, but that particular sport was able to look at this and do exactly what you said, which is just blow, blow through all the stop signs and make sure that they are meeting their schedule. Here's what I don't know it can survive. Because I watched the Packers game yesterday. As a fan, you look and you see the empty seats. As a fan, you look and see what was once a spectacle now reduced to basically a scrimmage uh, with, you know, you know, it's, it's, you know, Xbox, basically. Um, can football, can these sports survive much? How long could these sports survive without serious fan interaction? I'm talking about on uh, on scene, uh, boots on the ground, like the spectacle of it all. Because it, it, something's getting lost. I know the betting community is getting all they want and more. But you know what I mean? Like, it's just different from a fan's perspective. How long could this last, do you think? Well, well, the biggest league in the world now, and the NFL is certainly that, rely so much on their TV revenue, and the NFL's TV contracts are coming up after next season. I think at least three of the four are maybe, something like that, or, or across the board. And they'll likely just renew with the partners they have and just up the price tag. But what we're seeing uh, across the media landscape as – all of these companies have had to pivot and adjust because of on-demand viewing, right? Is live sports still the one thing that moves the needle? And that's yeah. why rights fees continue to go up and up and up. However, smaller leagues like the MLS who has a good TV contract between Fox and ESPN or the NHL that has a, a better TV contract in recent years than it had are still beholden to having fans in the stands, uh, to some degree. Now, the payroll in the MLS is way down compared to what it is in hockey. So they, they can survive it, I think, and they're still, uh, I mean, they're the best, fastest growing league in, in America because of the growth of soccer. But in general, those leagues are hit way harder than the NFL is. I talked with somebody with the Broncos on the business side, and what, what we're going back and forth about is the idea of money lost, right? You mentioned gambling. Well, if I put a dollar in and, and I bet on these four things to happen and I was going to pay me a hundred dollars and one of the things doesn't happen. I didn't lose a hundred dollars. I lost a dollar, right? Right. I lost the shot at a hundred dollars. So the NFL, because they have this baseline of cash coming in with their ad revenues and with the Broncos specifically, they added three betting partners. So they got new revenue this year and I think retained most of their, most of their sponsorship dollars. The, the NFL isn't losing money. It's not making mm. as much money, and that mm -hmm. and there's a difference, right? So the NFL could go forever without fans. It, they wouldn't have as much money, and it would probably flatten the salary cap. And you would so next year it's going to be around 175, which is kind of where it is right now. Or maybe it's 185. It's going to go down maybe 10 million bucks. But in general, the NFL could do this forever. They'd be fine because. You, like you said, you watched the Packers game yesterday. Enough eyeballs are watching the NFL. The, the TV ratings have proven that. If you look at, at what the Thanksgiving Day ratings were and 
the ratings have been, the, the top TV shows are still football games every Sunday. They're, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're the top TV shows on – they're the top TV shows for the week and for year. If you go look at top ten TV programs this, this fall, it has been ten football games. And I can say that without even looking at the numbers. So the NFL is fine. Baseball, it matters a little bit more, I think. Hockey, it matters the most. And it, even in basketball, it, it matters, too, because of where some of those salaries have gotten. But their contract – uh, was really good. Where they need to get the money that they had and they don't have right now is they need to get back in with China because China paid big bucks and there's a partnership issue there that uh, needs to get worked out because that is some lost revenue or lost money that they had been counting on that the that cost them went with all that stuff with um, Daryl Morey and, and everybody last year with China. So uh, how long could this last? Not long enough. Well, and I'll give you one more. College. They need they need NFL and, and NCAA basketball to help drive revenue to handle all their other sports. Or if not, every single varsity sport that doesn't drive revenue in colleges are going to become club sports, swim team, Bro, right? soccer, just, go down, yeah, all of it. Just go down go down the list. Uh, so so that's where they're also, um, you know, as a sports community, you want to see that get worked out. All right, hang on, let me this little girl. Yay! Look at dad doing dad duties. Well, I heard her screaming, but I was in the middle. Baby girl. Oh, she's got some lungs on her. Yeah, she's gonna be a singer. Let's see. Um, What is she? What are you feeding her? No, uh, she mostly just has mom's milk, but we started doing some formula. So you brought up college sports, and you're a big KU fan. Like, I can't. I think it was 60 minutes. I was just uh, I was watching some interview and they were talking about how athletic directors are, you know, now you know cutting the in panic mode. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, trimming the fat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, All right, I'm so, gonna heat this bottle up and then we can jump back in there. Um, I got you. But yeah, uh, so I was like, minutes. How recently? Uh that was. I mean, it had to be yesterday. This had to be yesterday. Okay. It, it yeah, might not have been new sixty minutes. minutes. I, was, oh. I was doing my I was I was doing my my internet rounds. And, um, yeah. But let me let me ask you this. Okay, because so you had mentioned, um, you know, athletic directors needing to make certain or certain sports becoming club sports. Um, what what do you predict? Because, see, I agree with you. The NFL, it's kind of crazy that you that you said it because I was like, they got to be hurting for that cash. Like, but it's really only eight. What is it? Eight days. You know, if you don't go to the playoffs, they got eight home games, every team had eight home games. Uh, you probably spend – Yeah, it's not a I could tell you the money on it real – I could tell you the money on it real quick, and this is a rough estimation, but I remember hearing this, uh, and I'll let you finish your question. I'm sorry. but No, you're good. The the, the Broncos went to, I want to say, seven playoff games uh, when John Elway first came to um, as GM, right? One with Tim Tebow and six with Peyton Manning, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so in those seven playoff games – the the way the game day revenue gets broken down is I believe it's split into 33 parts. 32 go to the obvious teams and another 33rd goes to the league. So there are certain things that only the team owns, um, maybe parking lot revenue and, and parts of the concessions. But in general, the, even the gate and the merchandise, if, if you go to the Broncos team store on, on game day, Nike and the league are still getting whatever they get, even if I'm buying a John Elway jersey or a Drew Locke jersey or a Vaughn Miller jersey. And, and, I, and I don't want to pretend to be an expert on that, but that's my understanding is that the 256 regular season games are split 33 ways um, mm-hmm. for the most part. 
the playoff revenue the team gets to keep. There is a reward. So if you're the Patriots, Bob Kraft in the 20 years of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, do whatever the math is on that, right? We'll just call it if the Broncos went to seven, six or seven in those five years, we'll say that they've gone to they've had at least 15 home games, if not more, right? And and right. for the Broncos, I heard that it was 10 to 12 million extra dollars in Pat Bowlin or the Bowlin family's pockets for those for each playoff game. So if that's about what they were making, figure out whatever percentage the league is getting probably pretty small. So just round it up to between 80 and 100 million dollars per season when you count the preseason. Uh, that each home game is making. Uh, so times 256, that's 250, whatever, it's $2.56 million, right? Um, that's a lot of money. So that's, in theory, of, and that's the number that I heard, like 2 to $3 billion lost in in revenue. But that's not Damn. lost profit, right? Right. right? When you're talking about a league that drives 14 to 17 to $20 billion in revenue, and, and I understand their operating costs, they are their profit, which I want to say was is around like six or seven million dollars. And this is where you have your Packers to thank for this, because the Packers are publicly held. All it takes is one person to put out their balance sheet. Uh, that's one of those shareholders, and somebody else. I think there's media members that have to share it, right? Then everyone gets to see. Okay, you divide that by thirty-two, and you realize, okay, this is what the league got for this TV right, and it's what it got for this. So even though those numbers may not be completely public, you end up understanding how that works. So. The, I know again. I, I cut you off when you were starting to ask that question, but that's how. That's why losing at home game or the Broncos. The Broncos it was actually costing them more money to have 5,700 fans than it was, was to, to have no fans because of the staff. They were making money on it, uh, which which is kind of a, a crazy thing in and of itself. So, so let me ask you this: Is the is the live? I mean, with that being said, and I no one wants to lose potential revenue, but like you said, it's not all lost. Is the lie? Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm gonna need you to ask that again. She's not hungry. She just ate. I need to burp her. That's what this is. Thank you. I baby crawl. Her eyes are open. All right. Well, she's not crying. If the, if the padding isn't too loud, you can ask and I'll talk. So is the is the live NFL spectacle a dinosaur that needs to be put? I mean, because the size of the, the the stadium. I mean, the the amount of overhead. Like I said, no one wants to lose potential revenue but to your point they're not taking losses by not having the game streamlining the design partnering with more bidding applications just going to have more fans watching i'm quite sure that television revenue and streaming revenue is just going to go up could you see the live nfl event a dinosaur that you know goes the way of i mean is it going to go the way of the dinosaur i don't think so and i'll tell you why and you're obviously a musician at heart, and you've played a million live shows and been to a million live shows. You can't say that if I'm sitting at home with my stereo cranked up and my new 80-inch TV in 4K picture, it makes me feel like I'm in the first row of name an artist, right? Taylor Swift, Drake, go down the list, classical bands, you know, the, I say classic, classic rock, the Eagles, right? If I'm standing there and it feels like I'm basically looking at Don Henley's face, that I, my seat at Red Rocks isn't going to be the same if I'm in, in the very back row, but it's about the experience. Just like I right. can see the game way better on TV than at the than in the stadium, but it's ingrained in who we are, right? You want to be part of the big event. Sure, plenty of people don't like other people and are, have been fine in the pandemic and being home, but I think 
you want to you want to get out of the house. You want to be at the big event, whether that's a concert or a game or whatever it may be, a restaurant opening. You know, we we saw last week where Warner Brothers is going to be releasing their movies on HBO Max. The movie theater is interesting because you know how much I love going to the movies, and I know you love going to movies too, right? We used to have our afternoon movie club that uh, the Wednesday afternoon movie club that just hasn't really been able to materialize in, in the better part of a decade now after all this life gets in the way. But I'll still want to go see Wonder Woman on IMAX when it's safe to do so. But I'm really excited that it's going to be in my house on HBO Max. And the difference, I guess, between movies and concerts and sporting events or a restaurant opening, you know, if the, if the hot new restaurant opens up, going there and, and seeing what that chef done is going to be way better and getting it to go, even if they tell you exactly how to heat it back up, right? But movies, right. if I can build a movie theater in my house, and lots of people have or something similar, the experience won't be that different. I mean, yes, no one has an IMAX screen in their house, so at least that I know. And and so and I'm actually having this conversation, as silly as it sounds, with Vaughn Miller, because remember there was a stretch where he was renting out the movie theater all the time, and there was, right. he got sick uh, because he ate some chicken fingers and fries and says you can't put bad gas in a Ferrari. And he said, you know, because he was running out and doing double features for his teammates on Mondays at the movie theater by his house. And I was like, why would you just build one? Uh, because they have these services well before what's going on now, where for like 500 bucks, you could get first run movies the day they come out. You get a, the special projector and there's a licensing and all this. And he's like, I like going to the movies. I like being in a movie theater. And so he'd rather spend a few thousand dollars than 500 to rent out an entire theater for four people or 10 people or 20 people. And so that's sort of, you know, a, a long way of saying, no, I don't think sporting events will go away because think how awesome it is to be at a big playoff game or, or a big game or a huge concert, right? Um, and so will people's habits change a little? Maybe. If we realize that that we don't need to be at everything, hopefully, probably. But I, I think in general, especially the, the bigger things, and even the smaller things, I think it's, that's part of it too, is that, you miss going to watch your kids play soccer because they haven't been able to play soccer or baseball. Or, you know, and I know plenty have, but you know what I'm saying. The other day, there was a state championship weekend for Colorado football, 75 fans for each team. Now, I'm not saying there were going to be thousands, but if that game, if right. those games were at Mile High and Cherry Creek's playing Valor at Mile High, there would have been 20,000 people there. There wouldn't have been 75,000, but instead there were 75 for each team in Pueblo at the Thunder Bowl. So it just gives you an idea that uh, – you know, I, I'm kind of hemming and hawing here, but no, it's a long, again, a long answer to a short question, but no, I don't think it's going to go the way of the dinosaur. Um, I just think people will be, especially coming off, you know, economic hardship for a lot of people will have to be a little more um, discerning in, in how they handle their entertainment dollar. But I will say this too, because I, I heard this talking to um, one of our promotions people at, at iHeartRadio. If, they feel far enough along in the vaccine, and this conversation happened probably in September or October, we will see the biggest concert summer, and maybe at whatever point people feel comfortable, concert year or couple of years that we've ever seen. Now, I don't know if the economy can handle it and where the price point will be for artists, but think about how many people you know that work in, in the music business and work on the concert side of things, the event side of things, that have completely had to change jobs or take unemployment or whatever. Well, musicians appreciate those people, even if you know, even the, the biggest jerks of artists, they still appreciate the the roadies and the and the people that help put on the concerts and the tech people and the lighting and the sound. So you'll have all the tours that have been canceled, plus all the tours that were planned, plus artists in between that put out new albums that now want to tour. So you'll end up having almost triple the amount of 
potential artists out on the road, probably not a lot of new music other than stuff coming out while people are on the road, you know, because they've been writing music now for nine months and they want to go play it. I think what you end up seeing, though, is that you mentioned the vaccine. I think what you'll end up seeing is, or I guess something I would wonder that we would end up seeing is if, I mean, the easy, the easy way out for any organization that puts on large events is to say, well, prove that you've been vaccinated. You can come in and sure. the event is safe. Is that something sure, I think you, the NFL? Is that something you think the NFL would be quick, or not just the NFL? I, I focus on the NFL because it's, it's football season right now, and, and they seem to be the, the the best equipped to handle these large logistical questions and implementations, and and not really be budged what's happening. Like, could you see them mandating the vaccine for both fans and players alike? I, I would hope so. I, I guess the only caveat to that will be if. The, they can get enough vaccine uh, distribution and people agreeing to take it, right? I heard the other day on TV that basically if you can get to a 70% success rate or whatever usage rate, that the herd immunity will be such that they won't be worried about it. So in order for that to happen, you're going to need people that are skeptical of government, skeptical of Democrats or Joe Biden or whatever, or skeptical of Republicans to all get on board when Anthony Fauci and the rest of the people that really know about this stuff, they take this vaccine and take it. And so maybe by next football season, we'll be far enough along that they won't have to. But if I were an NBA or, or really a baseball team, and, and baseball would probably be the best example, or even a concert, yeah, you, there may need to be some sort of documentation because you don't want to put all of a sudden 10,000 people at Red Rocks if only 1,000 have been vaccinated, right? Right. So, I don't know exactly how you do it, but these are all private businesses. So same with restaurants and, and stores that want you to wear a face covering. I guess that's the other side of it, is that as the vaccine starts to come out and they say, hey, you still got to keep your mask on, how many people will actually do it, though? That That's, I think, a huge question and a huge if. Uh, but I know that if I owned a view, I would I would require if there's a way to, to prove it. I, and I understand that people want to keep normal health stuff private. I think – that the vaccine should almost come with a with like a, a bracelet or, or something, um, not an app because and like the app, I mean you don't want to be able to have people fake it and show you take a screenshot that says you've been vaccinated, right? Um, so, something that seems formal enough, I, I would hope so. Or we'll have to wait until the vaccine so widely distributed that they think seventy percent of Americans and people worldwide have, have uh, received it. Or maybe they figure out a way to you know tattoo you when you get the vaccine and you can wear the mark of the beast. <laughs> well, that's one way, that's one way to do it. Um, <laughs> it <laughs> I joke when I say that, but I've, you know, we could talk on it on another podcast about my, my opinions on the coronavirus. All right. Before I let you go, because I know you got uh, fatherly duties and, and other business that you got to get to um, most compelling sports period story that you've covered this year? I mean, that you've covered in your career? You. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you a story because I almost want to say that you were on air when it happened. So this this probably isn't the most compelling. Uh, and I'll see if something pops in my head quickly. But were you on air with DMAC when Mike Shanahan got fired? Yes, I was. Okay. So at that point, I had been in town about a year and a half. And while I didn't cover the Broncos on a daily basis, as the main guest booker at the fan, I obviously knew knew everybody with teams, if you will, um, 
or with that team and, and around the team. And so I was in Chicago because the season ended, right? So I took my vacation then and went to Chicago for the week. And I was at the Museum of Nature and Science. And he goes down into the ground. You're basically parallel to Lake Michigan. And your phone doesn't work. At least it didn't then. This is obviously January of 09. Um, and I come out of the of the museum. And I remember I was with my folks because they lived in Chicago. And <laughs> when my phone gets back on, it was like, you would have thought that the world was ending. I mean, I had 40 text messages, eight voicemails, 20 missed calls or whatever it was or vice versa, all because Shannon had gotten fired and everybody was trying to get a hold of me to get numbers for people or to have me reach out or whatever it was. And so that was one that definitely sticks out to me because of just the timing of it um, and how being on your phone just for a few minutes um, – can can really change your day. Uh, an, another one along those lines, when Ryan Clady signed his, his new deal, his, he was negotiating at the 11th hour and not wanting to play on the franchise tag. I had been going back and forth with some sources close to it, and my wife was hounding me like she still does about being on my phone too much or having my phone. So we had a little barbecue, and I had set my phone down, and I got a heads up on it before I believe Mike Clifford wrote the story by about 10 or 15 minutes. Hey, the deal's done. Here's what it is. And I and I missed it by like an hour. I go back and grab my phone, and let's just say I, I wasn't I wasn't the happiest uh, of campers uh, when I talked <laughs> with my wife about that after the fact. How long is it going to take for the Broncos to get good? Good question, um, because the gold standard obviously we saw last night, but how would that game have looked if Vaughn Miller was on the other side of Bradley Chubb, if Jarrell Casey was there, if Mike Purcell was there and Cortland Sutton was there and Bryce Kahn was there. I understand having all of your guys healthy isn't that easy uh, at this point of the year, but those are three of your best players that I mentioned off the top uh, with, with Vaughn, Cortland and, and Jarrell Casey. Uh, and then all three were in the Pro Bowl last year. Those are the only guys in the roster that were in the Pro Bowl last year. So, if you have those guys, I think the the gap is even closer than you think. It's really a question of can Drew Locke get to a point where he can go win a game? And last night he had a chance. It wasn't the best situation with no timeouts, no Cortland Sutton on the field, a banged up Jerry Judy, um, and obviously he throws an interception. That that's really the answer because the roster I think is more solid than people want to give John Elway credit for. It's it's a question of can Drew Locke get to where they need him to get to in a timely manner. If not, you're just going to be looking up at those guys. Who's going to be the coach with Justin Herbert for the long haul? I don't think it'll be Anthony Lynn. And what will John Gruden and, and the Raiders be able to do? You know, they'll always be interesting. Will they be good? They they were good for a while. They've been pretty crappy the last two weeks, even though they won yesterday. So uh, I don't know as far as people think, but I don't know if they're as close as they need to be in, until Drew Locke proves otherwise. I saw somebody posted that basically they think Kansas City is a pretender in terms of who they can this year. You've seen that team up close. Are the Chiefs are are they a champion, a repeat, a back-to-back champion, lying in wait, or are they or are they a pretender? No, they're they're the best team, and I'll tell you why. Because they have the best player, and then they have two of the most unique players. Tyreek Hill's the fastest player in the league, and maybe the fastest player in the history of the league, or certainly in a very short conversation. When Vic Fangio was bringing up Bo Jackson last year, he mentioned Bo Jackson, Dion, Bullet Bob Hayes, who's the fastest man in the world. When you're in that kind of conversation, then you are in a, a different category, and that's that's where they are with with Kelsey and and Hill and Mahomes, and so 
it's not that they're playing down to the Broncos. Vic Fangio is a hell of a coach, and the Broncos have a better defense than people realize. If you want to talk about their schedule, the schedule is what it is, right? Everyone plays right. the schedule they're given. Um, they're still going to ha- – you know, they played the Bucks and beat them. I guess they're going to play the Saints, right? They haven't played the Saints yet, so that's got to be coming here in the next few weeks. Um, but in the playoffs, we saw last year. Who, who would you rather have? Deshaun Watson, who's really good. The Titans with Tannehill and, and – uh, and Derrick Henry, really good. Well, they the Chiefs bottomed them two, three touchdowns and came right. back and won. No reason to think they won't again. I don't love the Chiefs' defense, but when you've got that guy on the other side, you are going to be in every single game. And even if you're down 24 nothing, like they were to the Texans, you're not panicking. You're saying, okay, let's go out there. Let's get a couple stops and, and let Patrick make plays. He is He's actually officially the best quarterback in the history of the game now. Uh, and and, and I'll, I'll illustrate my point quickly and give – James Palmer, the the credit from uh, NFL Network, because he tweeted this yesterday. But based on what we saw uh, the other day uh, with Patrick Mahomes getting to 1,500 attempts. So last week he got to 1,500 career attempts. He is now number one all time in – and they might put this on TV last night too – Yards per game at 307, and I think he had something right around that against the Broncos. Yards per game at 307, ton interception ratio, 106 TDs to 20 picks, that's 5.3 to 1. I mean, you always talk about you want to be 3 to 1, you know. <laughs> He's right. 5.3 to 1, okay. <laughs> and 110 passer rating, better than Rodgers, better than Steve Young, better than Russell Wilson. He is the best quarterback in the history of football, and now it's official. I understand he hasn't had the best career because he's only played two and a half seasons. But right. we are seeing something that we've never seen. That doesn't mean that he'll he'll pass Tom Brady and have six rings, but to think that he's not going to have a couple more is silly at this point, even as they're going to have to continue to rework the roster uh, around his salary that I get isn't going to maybe be top quarterback dollar every year. But you're not paying him 35 to $50 million a year, whereas the last couple of years you've been paying him but below 10. So you can't, you're not going to be able to keep everybody and guys are going to get older and he's going to get banged up and guys around him are going to get banged up. There'll be plenty of years where he doesn't win it. John Elway was the quarterback of the Broncos for 16 years and only won the division seven times. I know. So it's, it's not an inevitability. So how close are the Broncos? That was a very long answer to, to a, a short question. Closer than people think, but it won't matter unless Drew Locke can get them there and or another quarterback if it's not Drew Locke. Because we'll have this conversation forever. If you don't have that guy, and I don't mean Mahomes' name, if you don't have the guy that you say on Sundays, hey, I don't care if we're down two or three scores. We've got Russell Wilson. We've got Aaron Rodgers. We've got Deshaun Watson. We Obviously, we have Mahomes. Big Ben when he's vintage. Breeze, Brady, Peyton Manning, even Eli Manning, at least in those playoff runs. If you don't have that guy, then the rest doesn't matter. Brandon, Chris Ball, I'm like Andy Reid, and you're like Patrick Mahomes. You just made this. The easiest podcast I've recorded today. <laughs> well, I'm happy to help and happy to talk to you anytime. So if you want, we can do this again tomorrow. Absolutely. I love you, brother. All right. Love you, too. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Big shout out to the homie, BK, Brandon Cristal, joining me on The Whole Hard Truth while dadding. What? Podcasting while fathering at the same time. That's how you get it done. Uh, congratulations to you, BK, and uh, your beautiful wife, Andrea, on the addition to your family. Uh, they're exploding over there at the Crystal household. And big shout out to you all for listening and joining us on uh, this 
11th episode of The Whole Heart Truth. The Whole Heart Truth is brought to you by the DNVR Podcast Network. Search the DNVR Podcast Network. Search The Whole Heart Truth wherever you get your podcasts for more riveting conversations such as this one. And we'll see you guys next time. Peace and I'm out.